0: Warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and on this day, we're going to go back to the the Red Letter Series, so the words of Jesus. And I was just uh, chatting with Wyatt during the break, and Wyatt, do you remember my Chris my Christmas list that I gave you? Well, I remember the first half, which was about ten pages long. Yeah. After, I mean, after that, it's kind of tough to remember. It, it was a little thick, wasn't it? <laughs> it was yeah. just a little thick. Well, maybe we just narrow it down. Can you can, do you remember any of the top three? request that i had on my wish list Well, i remember one of them i think was getting a mr jerry root back on the program uh dr jerry root yeah yeah and exactly who do we have today dr jerry root oh yeah he is merry be- christmas bill <laughs> 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 he's gonna be our teacher for our, our red letter series we're talking today about mark chapter 12 verses 28 to 34 and i cannot wait to get dr Root's perspective on this jerry welcome back
1: Thank you very much. You know, I have a white beard. I look like Santa Claus. You start to see what your Christmas list is, and I'm going to ask you if you've been a good little boy. You're going to be in trouble no matter how you answer that question.
0: I have a feeling you're absolutely right. And I just want to also tell my audience, because I find this so fascinating, because I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan, As you've been studying C.S. Lewis and topics around him for 53 years, and you've taught Lewis for forty three years, and you've lectured on Lewis at seventy nine universities in nineteen countries, and authored it's
1: 81, 81 countries now. All right, I
0: mean universities. Yeah, who's keeping track though? Right.
1: Yeah, I tend to keep track. It's terrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, book I have in my library, which I look at almost every day, is the quotable C.S. Lewis, which I just love that book.
1: It's the most sold books of all the ones I've done, and I did it with Wayne Martindale, and we wrote it with scissors. We just cut quotes out and <laughs> pasted them in a book. Like
0: yeah, but it's fantastic, and I, I love the way it was organized and compiled, and I just think it's uh, outstanding. So I'm glad, and once again, of all the guests I have on the show, I will say you are one of the most requoted guests I have. I retell stories you've told on this show Almost more often than anyone else,:
1: Wow, I should charge
0: you a royalty. You can try. I'm not paying it, but you can try. <laughs> but I think where my my heartbeat is is your love for evangelism, your love for sharing Christ. And when I hear stories, uh, it just resonates with me, and I, I, I think this is, uh, this is inspirational, and I want to tell others about it.:
1: Somebody took the time to tell us that God loved us deeply. And forgave us of all of our sins. How could we have been recipients recipients of that great message and not want to pass it on? Yeah, so true. Now, Jerry, I want to make sure I get this
0: right, and I don't know if this is still a, a, a title you hold, but you, you were once the director of evangelism for the Billy Graham Institute.
1: Yeah, uh, I was the director. Yeah, of the of one feature of that of that program. Okay, and so. So, but I retired now. Oh, yeah.
0: And one of the things I remembered you saying was evangelism isn't the
1: easiest thing for you to do. Well, it's not my gift. Not your gift. My my gift is encouragement. How could you encourage a non-believer better than telling them that they're loved by God? And how could you encourage a believer better than helping them see that God has purposes for them to participate in his mission to the world? So... I, I I have made a lot of mistakes, sharing my faith and 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 yet i've I feel like I've been able to learn from them, and I've learned from my successes. It's interesting to me, if a person is married, they're likely to make mistakes. If they make mistakes, do they just stop being married? If a person's a parent, they're going to make mistakes. Do they decide to give the kids back because they made a mistake? No. We learn from our mistakes. An athlete, if an athlete makes a mistake, does he give up his athletic career? No. He learns from his mistakes. Why is it with evangelism we treat it differently than any other area of our life? That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Your first day at work, you didn't make any mistakes, did you? No, not the first day. The second day was awful, but the first day, there was a... you persisted and you kept on and you grew and you got better at it. Yeah. There was a,
0: a mentor talking to, uh, um, a mentee talking to his mentor and, and, and the mentee was saying, boy, you just, you just don't make mistakes. And he said, well, at, at, at a certain point, you, 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 you think through things a little more clearly. Uh, but he said, I, I make fewer mistakes. And he said, well, how can I be more like that? And he said, well, by making mistakes. You know, how did you (laughs) gain your wisdom? He said, by making mistakes. (laughs) That's very good. Yeah. So I want to jump in, and I love the words of Jesus, and I I always say we want to start with words of Jesus. You can always go to other places in Scripture that uh, support whatever uh, you're teaching about. But we're going to go to Mark chapter 12 today, and we're going to study verses 28 to 34. Uh, And I love these verses. So, Jerry, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this.
1: Well, do you, you want me to just jump in? Well, I would love to. Do you want me to read it? Should I read a verse, yeah, two yeah, verses? Go ahead, read, whole... go ahead and read. Go ahead and read the twelve through twelve. Well, let me set a context for it Please first. Please do. There, there was uh, all these uh, scribes and Pharisees and and Herodians and Sadducees. They're asking Jesus testy uh, questions, just trying to trip him up. And there was one scribe who had been listening to the whole thing. And he came to Jesus, and you can read it now. Okay.
0: Uh, This is uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. And that ends the reading.
1: It's interesting that the guy comes up to Jesus and basically says, what's the most important thing I can do with my life? Mm Mm-hmm. In other words, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, and he's quoting that text from the Old Testament. It's interesting, the most quoted books in the New Testament are Psalms and Isaiah, but the book that Jesus quotes the most is the book of Deuteronomy, when he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness. All three times he rebuffs the temptation by quoting Deuteronomy. No book in the old testament tells us to love God more times than that book. Mm-hmm. And Jesus draws on that passage from Deuteronomy 6 to, to um build on this guy. He says, You're right, that's the greatest commandment. That's it. Mm-hmm. And he quotes it back to him. And I, I think I think our whole Christian life is based on loving God. There, there's a passage in Pascal in the Pensee where he says, Christians have two laws. Better than all the laws of statecraft. Love God and love your neighbor. If I stop loving God and loving my neighbor, then penal codes will begin to thicken because more laws will have to be written to instruct me coercively and extrinsically to do these things. And then law libraries will proliferate and fill. But if I love God and love my neighbor, I'm going to naturally do what will be right by both God and my neighbor. That's the starting place. That's why I think it's the most important for me uh, text in the in the um, in the Gospels.
0: Mm-hmm. Doctor Jerry Root is my guest, and Jerry, you uh, qu- quoted pa- Pascal's Pensees, and you you do it because you're smart. I quote him to sound smart, which is <laughs> there's really a difference between the two. But there's something from that bu- book I, I've never forgotten, which is uh, Pascal saying we're all making basically a high-stakes life commitment to a particular faith view, and we're betting our eternal destiny on it.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's Pascal's Wager, it's, it's been called. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the idea is um, if you believe and you're right, and death is not the end of all things, then having believed, you get to go to heaven. And if you believe and you're wrong, and death is the end of all things, you lose nothing. You gain everything if you believe. Lose nothing if you if you if if you uh, if the there is no eternal mm-hmm. um, outcome. But if you disbelieve and you are right, you gain nothing for your disbelief. Right. And if you disbelieve and you're wrong, you lose everything. Right. And like you just wisely said, we're not betting dollars and cents or francs and centimes or euros or anything else. We're betting our eternal destiny on this one. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, though, that's one thing. The best thing is God loves you, and we get to respond to that love. That's even better than Pascal's wager. We get to be told that God loves us unconditionally. And who wouldn't want to respond to that if they understood what what is implied in all of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Jerry, when Jesus quotes that from
0: Deuteronomy, isn't that the Shema? Wasn't that something that uh, P- Jewish people would recite morning and evening every day?
1: Yeah, the Shema, it means here, that word means here, and it's from, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Every every uh, Jewish family will put on the doorpost a little, a little uh, device that has Scripture inside of it. It's called a mezuzah, and it has that passage. It has a Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. If you go to Israel, a lot of times you'll see people kind of kiss it because they want to say, you know, I, I want to love God. I want to love God. Um, so anyway, there you go. Yeah, and Spirit. Jerry,
0: are some people taking their mezuzahs down right now because of the fear of anti-Semitism?
1: I, I haven't heard. Okay. But yeah. I would— not, I hope they would be courageous in spite of foolish anti-Semitic views. Hmm. Um, uh, there's another feature about this, though. you remember that hymn where it has the words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love? It seems to me that if we love God, we know that he loves us, we love him. If we're honest about uh, about life, we recognize that any of us could drift. So how do we... Come up with diagnostic questions that will keep us from drifting and keep us loving God, and I've I've actually come up with four that help me.
0: Great! I can't wait. I got to get a fresh piece of paper here because I always take notes when you come on. Um, but I think uh, I think I might take a, our first break because uh, I want to make sure that you've got plenty of time when you start laying out these four things. Dr. Jerry Root is my guest. We are in our Red Word series, and if you are uh, close to a Bible and can open it, uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And of course, if you ever have a question or you want Dr. Root to clarify something you've heard, you can text the question over at 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. You've probably heard me talk about hope quite a bit this season, and I think it's because we need to hear more about it. We need to encourage one another with hope. We need to build one another up with the hope that we have in Christ. And if you are feeling lonely, or maybe you are having periods of disappointment or despair, and you need hope, we want you to know that you can always come to God's Word for hope. Hope will always be there for you, waiting. And if you are struggling to make it to the next moment, I want you to be able to text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484. Christmas is a time of hope and celebration, but for you this year may be harder than the past. And this year, you don't be alone. You don't have to. Text the word HOPE to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four, and we'll text you every couple of days to encourage you and pray with you. We'd love to do that. My guest today is Dr. Jerry Root, and we are in our Red Words series. So the words of Jesus and the text that we're dealing with today is Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, an amazing passage on the... The Greatest Commandment. And Jerry, I know you've got a couple of four points you're going to make, and I have a fresh piece of paper and pen in hand.
1: Yeah, the, the thing is, I've, I've often thought, okay, if God wants me to love him foremost of all, and if I have a heart that can potentially drift, I need to catch myself before the drift takes place. So in my quiet time each day, I ask these questions. And the first one, I, I, if I have four but some people think, oh, if I have four, I think I'll get 60. And I'll go, no, maybe you should get to a therapist. You're a little bit obsessive and compulsive. (laughs) You only need a few, but but be self-aware and figure out where you might be going to drift. The first one I came up with when I was a brand new Christian, I was looking forward to the day when I'd get married. But whenever I imagined what that day would be like, I would see that I'd date some woman. We'd fall in love. I'd ask her to marry me. Her parents would say it would be okay. The day would come for the wedding. I'd be standing there with my brothers and my brother-in-law, my best friends, and my bride would come down the aisle. The pastor would uh, give us the homily. He'd pronounce us husband and wife. And always in my imagination, when I imagine these things, halfway out the aisle, that would be the moment Jesus would come back. And it used to upset me. every have (laughs) I (laughs) imagine that. And yeah. it was in that context I came up with the first question. Okay. If Jesus came back today, would I be disappointed? Oh. If Jesus came back today, would I be disappointed because I was starting to want something else more than him? Oh, that The is things good. That, usually, that usually test us at that place are not bad things. They're good things, but they, they inflate themselves beyond their proper merit. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay called First and Second Things. He says, if I put first things in first, I'll get second things thrown in. Okay. If I put second things first, I lose out on first and second things.
0: Okay, I need you to repeat that because that's so good. If the, I,
1: the question? No, if no, no. Jesus,
0: no, no, no. Just if I put first things first, say that again. The C.S. Uh, Lewis quote.
1: So, yeah, so C.S. Lewis, yeah, if I put first things first, I get second things thrown in. Oh, gotcha. If I put second things first, I lose out on both first and second things.
0: Awesome. That's so I'm always,
1: always wanting to keep my heart in the love of God. So if Jesus came back today, would I be disappointed? If I say that someday and I say some, some, someday I, I ask myself the question, I think, yeah, I think I'd be disappointed. Now you have, by virtue of asking the question, seen the area where you need to work to to somehow put that in its proper place and not let it eclipse from you your love for God. Okay. So that's first question. I love that. Okay, what is number two? The second question is a flip side of the first one. And I ask myself, can I say thank you in the midst of my present circumstances? I don't, I don't think we have to say thank you for our circumstances. Sometimes some of them can be pretty stinky. But I think we have to be able to say, okay, if everything was wiped out in my life, if I was like Job himself and everything was lost, if I had God, would that be enough for me?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'll say, thank you, Lord, I have you. These other things, they, they, it's not going so well, but I have you. I'm going to be okay. Thank you. And it's interesting that Julian of Norwich, we went and visited her shrine site one time. She, I got to her because C.S. Lewis liked her book, Divine Showings or Divine Revelation. And she was a woman who lived in a little cell she did spiritual direction for people that would come up to her window. She's the one that wrote in in, in her, her thing that all the great truths of the world could be found in something as small as a hazelnut. God made it. God sustains it. God loves it. And, and that's fabulous. So she had on her gravestone, when we went and visited there, she had on there, thou art enough to me. Thou art enough to me.
0: Mm, beautiful.
1: If if I have him and I'm centered on him, the world around me may fall into chaos and may fall apart, but I'm going to be okay because I understand my true north. So that's the second question.
0: Outstanding. Thank you. Dr. Jerry Root is my guest. All right, Jerry, let's go to number three.
1: Okay, number three um, <clears throat> in First John 4, 20, it says, how can I say I love God whom I haven't seen if I don't love my brother whom I have seen? So the question would be, am I out of sorts with anybody? Am I out of sorts with anybody? I'm not talking about the broken relationship where the person is irreconcilable to you. I'm talking about those relationships where you hold all the cards in your hand and you're not playing them. You're not, you're not doing anything to set it right. So, am I out of sorts with anybody? If I am, then that that text tells me my love for God is at risk of atrophying because I haven't worked on it. So, I need to go set set relationships right as best I'm able within my capacity.
0: Okay, that's a good one and then, too.
1: And then the fourth question for me is: I imagine me standing where Peter stood when Jesus looked at him after he r- raised from the dead, and Peter looked at. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus used the word agapao. Do you love me with the same kind of high love that I have for you? And Peter responds and says, Lord, I like you a lot. He uses phileo. Mm-hmm. I love you We're good friends. And the thing that was interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't say to Peter, Peter, go take a hike. And until you can put it together and love me with the same love that's commensurate with my love for you, you can't be my disciple. No, he doesn't do that. He accepts him at the level of love he can give at that moment. And he commissions him to ministry three times. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Matter of fact, the last time Jesus even asked him, Peter's, uses Peter's word, Peter, do you like me a lot? Yeah. And sometimes I don't think I can even rise to the high level of Peter's Lord, I like you a lot. But I think if I pray about that, Jesus will move my like you a lot to Lord, I love you. And mm-hmm. there are those moments where it's really precious. Yeah. So I imagine him asking me the question, do you love me? And and I think that there's more questions a person could ask, but they've got to figure out the questions that are going to scratch where they're itching.
0: Um. Okay. I love that. So, When we're talking about that conversation between Jesus and and Peter, when Jesus on that third ask used the uh, phileo question, do you like me? And Peter was hurt. Why
1: was Peter hurt? Well, I think he was realizing that this this is just a guess. I don't know for sure. But I think he was realizing Jesus was asking him three times, and and perhaps that was commensurate with the number of denials that Peter had. Mm Mm-hmm. Peter denied him three times, and Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? You know, he'd been kind of bragging about how he would never, these these other guys, they probably would forsake you, but not me, Lord. And, and there's an interesting passage in a, in a book by, or a, a essay by Dorothy Sayers called The Triumph of Easter. I read it every year during Holy Week. And in it, she says that the angel said to the women at the tomb, go tell the disciples and Peter. Because he's probably feeling pretty bad about himself. Make sure Peter knows he's included. He didn't do anything that would put him outside the reach of God's great love. And then Dorothy Sayers basically says in that essay, "Isn't it too bad Judas didn't stick around?" Oh, wow! Yeah, because so great is His love for, her,
0: mm-hmm. for us. Doctor Jerry Root is my guest, and we are in Mark chapter twelve, verses twenty-eight to thirty-four. And verse 30, Jerry, is one that when I read, I always think I could always use a little bit of help differentiating these different words. So love the Lord your God with all your heart. And I've always thought, I don't know exactly what the Greek word is in that verse, but I always think heart is the decision-making center of who you are. So love the Lord your God with the decisions you make. I don't know if that's correct or not in this context. Um, And love him with all your soul. And with all your mind and with all your strength, those are are four words that I look at and I think I don't know if I understand the specifics of each one of the words.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know. I suppose we could probably interpret them different ways. Um, but usually when I think the, the word for heart is cardia. Cardia, yeah. But, but but it would be the very center of who you are, uh the thing that makes you unique. To how God has wired you and created you, so it's your very and your soul would of course be mind, emotion, and will. Okay. Generally, I mean there there are other interpretations, but that immaterial side of us that whereby we we can think, we can choose, and we can choose and we can feel. Um, but you also have the mind. In the Deuteronomy passage, mind isn't there. Jesus adds that. I think he wants us to have a robust, um, thoughtful Christianity or thought-based Christianity to love him with our mind. And, and uh, there was a book, a, a student of C.S. Lewis's named Harry Beaumeyers, and he wrote a book called The Christian Mind. And he said that Christian mind is a mind that seeks to understand things where we think about everything Christianly. I think of it this way, in a world that God has made... In a world where he made us to be creative, made in His image as creators, everywhere, everywhere where we cast our eyes, we should be seeing in some senses a call to worship, that God is wooing us to himself in this world, so to have a thoughtful Christianity that learns to love God with the mind as well and to and to recognize that he is in our world. how did Elizabeth Barrett Browning, the poet said. Every bush is a burning bush, and the world is crowded with God. Mm. I think that's a way to look at it. Yeah,
0: and we're supposed to love with all your strength. How would you put meat on that bone?
1: Well, it, 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 the Hebrew has with it the idea of, of all the all the muchness of you, all the muchness. I, I I don't know how to better put it, except that it it's just it's occupying all of me, all my effort, everything is going into this. It doesn't mean that I'm not thinking about anything else, but I'm thinking of other things rooted in the love of God. If I go through crisis, I'm not going to be doubting that God is loving me. I'm going to say, I just haven't seen yet how it all works out, but I'm going to trust this is where my faith is going to stand. I know that good is coming to me. And I I think sometimes we'll make radical decisions in the midst of a moment, long before we've ever seen how that moment plays out into other moments and a process is unfolding that will bring glory to God. Mm-hmm. He's in my life. Mm-hmm. All right. The second is this,
0: love your neighbor as yourself. And this is one I I understand, but then when I break it down, I, I think to myself, do I love and put energy into my neighbor and love for my neighbor as much as I do myself. Do I, do I, do I have the energy to meet the needs of my neighbor with the same energy that I have to meet my own needs? And the answer is unequivocally no.
1: Well, I I wouldn't say it's no. (laughs) I'm I'm confident you love your neighbor. I do. but, But probably we do it by degrees, right? We, we, Sometimes we have good days. Sometimes we have bad days. When we have bad days, we go ask forgiveness of our neighbor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where we have good days, we learn from that and and then try to build it and make it more more robust. There, there is interesting is, um, C.S. Lewis and his friends Charles Williams and others Dorothy Sayers and so on. They they would talk about the high courtesy of heaven, and the high courtesy of heaven is um, as Jesus was on the cross, he said, in essence, I give my life for you. The high courtesy is I give my life for you. We put the, the need of our neighbor even ahead of our own need. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's really helpful. I, I know I try to, I want my wife to feel like I treated her like a princess. Mm-hmm. Her alarm clock in the morning is me showing up with a cup of coffee and blowing the, the aroma towards her that's oh. how she waits i want to serve her as best yeah. as i can i don't always do it well but but i i want to grow and approximate better and better that sort of thing the high courtesy i lay down my life for you and that's what jesus did for us and i think that's what we're supposed to do for our neighbor and, I... and he, he, here's another one for you when i pray prayers of confession at the end of my day you know first john 1 9 if we confess our sins He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. The Greek word for confess is homologeo, and it literally means to say the same thing. To say the same thing about myself that God already knows, and I need to come into self-awareness of. And so, consequently, how do I how do I do that? At the end of my day, I'm not even aware of where I screwed up that day. You know, I'm so distracted. <laughs> right. So I I use this verse, First Corinthians thirteen five. Love does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. So I say, was there a time today when I got provoked, when I got upset? And I say, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And then I get to confess, Lord, I was self-serving. I was not loving. Love does not seek its own. I was self-seeking. I was seeking my own. Forgive me for that, Father, and help me to do better so I could love my neighbors better.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. When we talk about the golden rule that, you know, treat others the way you would want to be treated, and I think that's where I got that thought in my head where, is that something that is nearly impossible? Do you put the same energy into meeting the needs of your neighbor as you do yourself? Do you put the same energy into into meeting the needs of other people before yourself? And I think that was the that was the question I had, and I thought, well, I don't know if anybody does that, but anyway...
1: I, I don't. I don't think, Bill. I. I don't. You shouldn't beat yourself up. I think all of us. We're we're not yet what we're going to be one day when God transforms us utterly and makes us more like Christ. So all of us are at various stages of approximation.
0: Yeah, it's true.
1: If, if you're aware of shortcoming, then that's a teaching moment for you. Yeah, and you have to confess it to God and say, Lord, here's a place where I need you to pour your grace into me. Fill me with your Spirit and lead me in a way where I can get stronger in this area. And and if you start to get stronger in that area, don't get cocky, because he'll just widen the curtain and show you a thousand other places where you need work. <laughs> but but yeah. nevertheless, you're making approximation, and I think that's the key.
0: Okay. This is why you're on my top list of things I wanted for Christmas on my show, and here you are. Dr. Jerry Ritz, my guest, we're going to take a short break and come back and continue our Red Letter series. So the words of Jesus were in Mark chapter 12 verses 28 to 34 and I promise we'll be right back. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car for dinner. it's the
1: afternoon show
0: with Bill I am with Dr. Jerry Root today, and always glad when I get a chance to talk to him. We are in our Red uh, Letter series, so the words of Jesus were in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34, and one of the big questions in that verse is when the scribes and Pharisees gathered around Jesus debating with him and wanting to know of all the commandments, which is the most important. And it seems that these religious leaders had discovered 613 commandments in the law, 365 were negative and 248 were positive, and many, many of them had uh, argued for the validity as to which one was the greatest. So it seemed, uh, Jerry, the stakes were pretty high, and these guys were very vested in what his answer might be.
1: It's interesting, too, though, how how the idea of loving him, loving God foremost of all, starts to make sense of all the other commandments. And I, I think, as we mentioned, Pascal, earlier, that if I love him, I'll naturally want to do what is proper before him and before others. And And I know, I remember my dad was a Marine in World War II, and he was in three D-Day invasions in the South Pacific. He, He saw bloody stuff, and he was horribly wounded in the last one. I went and saw the places where he fought and wept at the beaches where he had come ashore when I saw what he endured. But the thing that was interesting to me is I always felt that my father loved me. He showed it by the way he treated me and so on. But I never heard him say it. It was that that old guard, you know, the old Marine who didn't really talk about that stuff, even though he showed it by his life. And I remember when I was a sophomore in college, he came up and put his arm around me. And he said, Jerry, I love you. And when he said that, you know exactly how I felt. I just melted. I said, Dad, I love you, too. And we never finished a conversation after that without telling each other we loved each other. But the thing that I also found was on weekends, I was coming home from college to help him rake the leaves, mow the lawn, and wash the car. I could have been coming home to try and get him to love me, or knowing he loved me, I could have come home and done those things. The actions could have been the same, but the motivational difference was a light year difference. Out of love, it's easier to do the things than that God wants us to do in these other areas. We love him. We know he loves us. Our love is predicated on his love for us. We love because he first loved us, the scriptures say. Mm -hmm. I think it's fabulous.
0: That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that little inside with your relationship with your dad. That's very tender. I know that touched a lot of people. And that generation were not quick to say, I love you.
1: Yeah, but he, he showed it, though, in so many ways. He was a hero. He was a hero in the war. And uh, amazing thing, I never once heard him say a negative word about another race of people. Mm -hmm. I never heard a cuss word ever come out of his mouth. Really? Yeah. I never, I never, any any of that stuff. He showed by his life that he was a good man. But, But again, to hear him say he loved me, I knew it. I saw it in his actions. But to hear him say it was so meaningful to me and and i think too when we can hear god reverberating through every page of scripture his great love for us it seems to me then it's easy to respond
0: mhm jerry is that moment kind of a picture in time you can you can take yourself back to instantly
1: yeah yeah i can <laughs> I,
0: I i'm just saying that's it's that profound and you can you can look at that that picture and play that movie in your head anytime can't you
1: yeah, but when I first understood that Jesus loved me, I can play that one back, too.
0: Amen. Yeah. yeah. So when when the, when the scribe, uh, when Jesus said, what you have said is wise, and to love God and your neighbor, that was really more important than any kind of burnt offering or, or sacrifices. Um, is that what Jesus was trying to help him understand?
1: Well, I'm not sure— I'm not sure what was on Jesus' mind at that moment. Okay. I'll I'll stick with what the text says, and then if you wanted to say, it seems to me this could be implied in it, I would say, "Amen." you preach it, I'll turn the pages.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but when he said uh, in verse 34, you are not far from the kingdom of God, that was the verse that always made me make sure. I don't know if I understood that verse.
1: Well, it seems to me if a person really knows God, this love of God will be, will be in evidence. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul, in chapter 11, verse 3, he, he says, I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. This, this devotion to Christ is, is a mark that our that our hearts are doing well spiritually. It's a good it's a good litmus test. C.S. Lewis even wrote one of his books. Every mature Christian would agree that a person's spiritual health is directly proportionate to their love for God. And and there there was another interesting thing about this too. There there's a book of letters that Lewis wrote to children. And these have been collected and put into single volumes. As a matter of fact, six months before he died, he wrote three letters to a little girl named Kathy. And that Kathy went on to marry. Um, um uh, I can't believe this. My wife says my mind's like lightning. One flash, then total darkness. <laughs> Kathy went on to marry Tim Keller. Oh, wow. Yeah. Kathy Keller. Uh, mm-hmm. Lewis had written her three letters. Well, anyway, One of the last letters he wrote, one of the last things to come from his pen. He gets this letter from a little girl in America named Ruth. She had written to him through his publisher. She had read the Narnia books and liked them. And he writes back to her again, one of the last things he penned. He said to her, if you continue to love Jesus, nothing much will go wrong with you. And I hope you may always do so. So I think when Jesus says you're not far from the kingdom of God, I think Kingdom living will be a life that is lived, informed, and directed by a person's passion for Christ. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jerry
0: Root is my guest. <clears throat> Jerry, when the end of 34, and I love this line, and from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. <laughs> that is really a powerful verse, and I, I don't know how to understand that, but it's like mic drop— no one dares ask him any more questions. What
1: does that mean? I don't know those those guys were were being pretty chumpy at that moment <laughs> i don't wanna I don't want sound like I'm better than them i'm I'm capable of being chumpy at times too. but when Jesus brings it down to brass tacks something as simple as loving God, I think that that sort of calls into question the pretenses that could easily mount up in our life. Mm-hmm. And I, I i don't know about you, but as I look at redemptive history, I see God is always pursuing. In the garden after Adam and Eve sin, he comes to them in the garden. They're hiding behind a bush. They've made fig leaves and clothe themselves so artificially, but he comes to them. Throughout redemptive history, the sinning society gets the prophets. He keeps coming to them. He keeps pursuing us. And and I'm overwhelmed by it. And, and I think that when we realize that, we can let down our guard and our pretense and our, our false notions of self, and we can become honest before him. His love is disarming.
0: Yeah, so good. All right, we're going to take a little break. We come back. Lots more with Dr. Jerry Root. We are in our Red Letter series. So the words of Jesus and the the text we are in today is Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. If you've missed any of today's show, you're going to definitely want to go back to the podcast and make sure you hear it all from the beginning because it's such rich content and you will get a a real uh, solid understanding. Jerry's given us some wonderful points along the way and I don't want you to miss them. We'll take a break and be back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. I'm with Dr. Jerry Root. So glad he could join me today. We're talking about the words of Jesus. We're in Mark chapter 12. And Jerry, when Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, weren't there first century Judaism zealots that w- that would teach that you know you should love your 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 neighbor and hate your enemy and Jesus comes along and pretty much says your your neighbor is pretty much everyone in need
1: yeah he corrects that doesn't he in or at least embellishes it more um, in the Sermon on the Mount you know and he, he wants people to even love their enemies and I think that's important. I I don't have you ever had somebody say to you, "Oh, I I find the psalms so comforting." I go, I don't know if you're reading the same ones I'm reading. How <laughs> oh, blessed are those who bash Babylonian babies' heads against the rocks? Or I pray, Lord, in Psalm 109, all my enemies' children will be orphans. These are pretty hideous psalms. Yeah. Now there are times when I feel like I want to shake somebody. And is my faith relevant in those places? You bet it is. God doesn't want me shaking anybody. He doesn't want me bashing anybody's heads against a rock. But there are some times when I feel like that. So he's given me a template in those Psalms that I can press out the pus in my heart. So I'm not taking it out on somebody else. I can come to him in the honesty of my heart because he loves me. And while I am open and honest before him, I could get set free from those things that would otherwise lead to bitterness. And consequently, I may for a while pray the imprecatory psalms about my enemies. But in time, I think I will begin to pray, Lord, they're a human no different than me. They may have made mistakes and I may have been the recipient of pain that they caused. But I know, Lord, ultimately, you love them too, just like you love me and I know I've caused pain for people sometimes too, please, Lord, help me to love that person the way you love them and the way you've loved me. And I think that's always a movement towards health Mm -hmm. and and away from spiritual sickness.
0: Mm -hmm. Jerry, in this passage, when the scribe asks Jesus what commandment is the foremost of all, are you getting the idea that he's walking away from this encounter realizing that the true intent of the law was to believe in Jesus?
1: Well, to love God, and and Jesus is the ultimate expression of his love towards us. God proved his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8 said. My guess is, from the indication of this text, I would assume, certainly I would hope, that this, that this scribe would, would have come to faith. There was another time when when a person said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That's a little arrogant, isn't it? As if we could ever do anything ourselves right. to obligate God to give us eternal life. And Jesus says, well, what about the law? What does it say to you? And, and so this guy gets it down to love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, okay, go and do that. And then this guy, it says, wishing to justify himself. The guy said, who's my neighbor? And that's when Jesus gives the account of the good Samaritan. And nobody would have expected that there would be peace between Samaritans and Jews in that day. But Jesus makes the hero of that parable a Samaritan, and I think he was underscoring all the more: here is love of neighbor. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful, very powerful. But that guy trying to justify himself—you know, kind of snooty, like we can all get at times.
0: Yeah, so true. Now, uh, Jerry, we've only got a couple of minutes left, and and I know you have oh. been. Studying and teaching on C.S. Lewis for many, many years, decades actually. And I'm wondering if there are lovely tidbits from C.S. Lewis regarding reflections of the Christmas season that come to mind. Any you could share as we're just wrapping up our time together?
1: Well, Lewis sometimes writes about Christmas in a curmudgeonly way um, because he doesn't like the racket, he doesn't like the commercialization. But for Lewis, it all boils down to this that we are not abandoned. God loved us. The incarnation is the key for Lewis when he thinks about the Christmas season. And in his own pilgrimage to faith, he reasoned his way through atheism and the morass of its supporting materialism through agnosticism. Finally he got to the place where he became a theist, but he said, I didn't think I could know God personally any more than Hamlet could know Shakespeare. He had a late night conversation with J.R.R. Tolkien, who he said was one of the human causes of his conversion. And after that conversation, he said it dawned on him that he realized Hamlet could never break out of the play to get to know the author. But Shakespeare, the author could have written himself into the play as a character and made the introduction between Hamlet and Shakespeare possible. And says, and Lewis says, I think that's what God did in the incarnation. He wrote himself into the play of human experience so that we might know him. And that, for Lewis, is at the heart of Christmas. It's the incarnation. It's what God did for us in Christ.
0: Mm-hmm. Any other C.S. Lewis tidbits? Because I know we've got a lot of people who love Lewis. Um, any Anything you can share in our r- remaining minute and a half about uh, just an insight to C.S. Lewis? Because we all love him.
1: Well, one thing, Lewis is concerned about truth. And truth for Lewis is not reality. Truth is what I think about reality. So there has to be a, a, there has to be something that validates my truth claim, my propositional claim. There has to be something. If I say, uh, this is a radio program, that's true because there's a radio program going on. If I say this is a television program, that's not true. So there has to be a reality that supports the truth claim. And we are in a world right now that is off the rails when it comes to truth because we're so mistaken about what we think is real or not real lewis would tell us get back to reality objective reality and conform your thoughts to reality rather than trying to shape reality to your thoughts he writes all about it in his book the abolition of man which is a book that is so timely and relevant today Mm -hmm. are you still uh, writing books yes i am actually what is it right now what's the one you're working on now well one of them is on the book of job and i've been working on it for ages but every time somebody comes up, and they say, well, could you do a book for us on this? I lay it aside and go do their book. Okay. So I'd rather work under contract than not, but I'm hoping to finish it in the next three months.
0: Okay. Well, I, I definitely want to be on your list of people you talk to about your new book on Job. So keep me in mind when it comes to start getting the word out.
1: Okay. I'm grateful.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yes. And then are you going to be with family coming uh, up this uh, Christmas? Are you all set to be together uh, yeah. with everyone?
1: Our kids are all married, and this is the year that they're with in-laws and so on. So my wife and I will be with another couple during this time, and and, and we're looking forward to it.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much for giving me the gift of this time together, and for uh, everyone here at Faith Radio, we're delighted that you could be on the show, and thank you for um, doing it, and have a wonderful Christmas.
1: Thank you. Well, Bill, I'm grateful to you.
0: Thank you so much, Jerry. Have a great night.
1: Bye-bye. Yep. Dr. Jerry Wood has
0: been my guest and the quotable C.S. Lewis co-edited with uh, Jerry and Wayne Martindale is a book on my shelf. I pick it up often. It's a great, uh, great book. That is our show for the day. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful night. Looking forward to a rousing guide talk tomorrow with the panel. Get your questions ready. Looking forward to spending time with you tomorrow. If you missed any of uh, Jerry's talk uh, interview today, Please check it out at the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. There were some wonderful, wonderful things in the hour. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.